And tonight we'll probably be wrapping up this message that we've uh, been talking about, the king is coming. And I say this because I believe that the king is coming. Amen? The Lord is going to return. I don't know, if, if for those of you that are uh, knowledgeable of the prophetic, knowledgeable of what the word of God is teaching us, we're already seeing the birth pangs of the return of, of the Lord. We're already seeing things that are being set into motion that are telling us they're, they're obvious signs. Now, the scripture teaches us that no man knows the day, the hour, you know, not even the Son of Man or the angels in heaven. We don't know the day, the minute, the second that the Lord will return. But I can tell you this much, we know that he will return. Amen? We don't know when, we just need to know that we need to be ready for when he comes. Amen? We need not be living lives where we're, you know, living carelessly in our relationship with God, where we're living aimlessly in our relationship with God, but we're actually living true devoted lives to the Lord. How many of you know what a devoted life to Christ looks like? It means that every day you take no days off. Amen? Every day you're, you're completely sold out to fulfill the Father's will for your life. Amen? Every single day you wake up and you, you worship the Father, you praise the Father, you surrender everything to the Father, you crucify your flesh before the Lord, and you are dependent fully on God so that the Lord makes the schedule for your day. Amen? The Lord, you know, guides and he leads and he, he helps you navigate your life. But the truth of the Word of God is this, is that I know, church, that, that there's this bubbling up in my heart and in my soul to know that he's not far away. He is not far away. The scripture teaches us that it will be as in the days of Noah of how the Lord will return. And in case you forgot the days of Noah and what the days of Noah looked like, they were very perverse. Amen? They were very corrupt. Amen? There was a lot of things that were happening now we can go back through the history of, of our history books and we can learn and see that, you know, we've seen, you know, evil in the world since, since the garden. Amen? But there was this, this escalation of evil that, you know, caused the Lord to do what he had to do in the days of Noah. And there's this escalation of evil in the season that we are currently living in that I believe the Lord is going to do exactly what he did in the days of Noah. And that is he will bring judgment upon men. He will bring judgment upon men. Now, this is not the, 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 the happiest message I'll ever preach to you. But I believe that I'm preaching to people that have given their hearts and their lives to Jesus. Yes? How many of you have, have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Raise your hand if you have. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That means that when we're, what we're about to talk about, I believe, will teach us something. Not only about our life and, and the plan of God for our life, but also it will teach us where we stand in perspective to the return of the Lord. So I want to read these verses to you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and verse 9. It says this. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Now, probably the, the easiest definition of how Satan works is, is found in John 10.10. 10. How many of you know that verse, John 10.10? 10. What does it say? The devil comes to, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus comes, what? That we may have life and have it more abundantly, right? So we see that the MO of the enemy is to kill, steal, and destroy. It says the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Killing. Stealing and destruction. If you turn on the news, you see a lot of killing, stealing, and destruction. We see some of the biggest cities in our nation that are absolutely being torn to shreds. I saw just on the news the other day, the city of Philadelphia was just on fire and buildings burning. And, and I'm telling you, church, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I know there's some of you that are, you want to get married and you want to live life and do all this kind of stuff. But listen, just be ready for Jesus. Be ready for the great wedding in the sky. Amen. Don't be so anxious to move on to the next phase of your life because the next phase of your life could be living in glory with the presence of the king. I remember before I got married and thinking that the Lord would return me before I got married. 
And he didn't. I was able to get married, and, and it was, it's been a blessing, and it's been a joy. But I'm telling you right now, the, the bread that's been baking in the oven, <laughs> it's almost ready to take it out. It's, 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 it's ready. The earth is groaning, and the Lord is soon to return. So it goes on to say, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works, and he will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. It goes on to say, in all the ways that the wickedness deceives those who are perishing. It says they perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. All right, let's pray for the word tonight. Holy Spirit, we just pray that your word would minister to us, Lord. And Father, I pray for every heart, every ear, Father. We just remove all distractions, Father God, in this moment that your Holy Spirit might speak to us in a powerful way, Father. I yield myself to you, Lord, as your vessel. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. There will be absolutely a time when the Antichrist is in full power, when he'll literally be the embodiment of all that Satan represents. That is his craftiness and his deceit will be in full force, deceiving many as in millions of people. And even those unbelievers that choose not to believe in Christ will believe in the Antichrist. They just won't be aware that he is the Antichrist. So people that think that they're not going to believe in, in anything, they are going to believe in something. Amen? The Bible says in, in, in Matthew chapter 24, For by your words you will either be acquitted or you will be condemned. It's the same thing with our beliefs. And so Paul points to Satan as the evil person who brings this man of lawlessness into power. So Satan enables him to perform false signs and wonders. This is what the scripture is teaching us. And one of those miracles is mentioned in Revelation chapter 13. Now, I won't put it on the screen, but it's in Revelation 13 and 13. And you can, you can just jot that one down in your notes. But the scripture teaches that he will make fire drop from heaven in public view. Fire will fall from heaven. The scripture testifies about it. And it's not going to be God's fire. It's going to be brought about by the powers of darkness. It will be a false sign, a false miracle. Another miracle that is given will be the power of speech to the idol or the beast that he erects in Revelation 13 and verse 15. And so there will be another miracle that will happen in public view for mankind to witness and to see, and all of a sudden people are going to go, oh man, what is this? And people are going to begin to follow this, this, this being. They're going to follow the Antichrist, and they're going to be deceived. They're thinking that this is of God, but it's actually a false sign. Now it's important for me to talk to you about signs, wonders, and miracles just for a second, because some of you believe everything that you see. Some of us are extremely gullible that when we see something or when we see a person in a church setting laying hands on an individual or praying for an individual, we automatically think that it's the Spirit of God. Now, the Bible teaches us that we have to have discernment, yes? And the Bible teaches us that we are to what? Test the Spirit. That we put it under the microscope of the word of God and the truth of God to see if it is genuine and if it holds true to the word. It's really important. Why? Because in a day and age where we are so, you know, attracted to visual things and, and our sight leads us a lot of times. How many of you know that we are to operate by faith and not by sight? Because just because you saw it doesn't mean it's real. Just because you saw it does not mean that it came from the, from the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees saw Jesus do miracles and they thought the power was satanic. Your eyes can deceive you. Amen. So these so-called miracles are counterfeit and they are intended to dupe people into thinking the man of lawlessness is the Messiah. Oh, this is the one that came to bring us peace. 
This is the one that came to, to you know, lead us, you know, to, 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 the, to, the, to heaven. And we see that scripture says Jesus is the true Messiah. Amen? And he, he authenticated uh, his, his claims to be the promised one by performing only genuine miracles. And so false miracles are first distinguished by the person who performs them. Matthew 7 and 16 says, by their fruit you will know them. Amen? By their fruit you will know them. The fruit is the most important thing that we have as believers because we are able to see what it is. Just because it looks shiny, and Pastor was kind of talking about that on Sunday about the fig tree, just because it looks, you know, tempting or appetizing, it doesn't mean that it's good. Amen. First John chapter 4 says this, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Amen. I've been in services where they don't even mention the name of Jesus. Where every song sounds like it's some worldly love song. And then you wonder who it is that they're actually singing to or singing for. Maybe they're just singing about themselves. Maybe they're just impressed to stand on a stage with lights and music because they're so impressed with their own gifting. We see this and so it tells us, how do you recognize the spirit of God? Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. There's a lot of people that say they believe in God, but they fail to acknowledge Jesus. There's a lot of politicians and people in authority and people in power that say they believe in God, but they fail to acknowledge Jesus. We have to put our thinking caps on. Remember that term from school? Put our thinking caps on and not fall for everything that we see and hear in church. Amen? Now, I know I'm talking to a good people here. You guys are the best. And I know that the many of you know the word of God. And I pray that you know the word of God. But we need to reinforce what we know about the word of God. Amen? We need to reinforce this because when the days come, all of a sudden, those that know it, those that have stood on it, those that live by it, those that meditate on it day and night, are going to be those that will be able to see what is actually happening in the spirit and what is actually happening in those days. It goes on to say every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So we know that the Antichrist is already in the world. This was written 2,000 years ago. So we can see the scripture proves to us everything that is happening and everything that we see that will happen. Any person who opposes God cannot be granted God's power. I'll say that one more time. Anyone that opposes God cannot be granted God's power. So in the book of Revelation, when these miracles are going to happen that will deceive many, many people, we have to understand and know that that's not God's power. True miracles support God's word and the truth of the word of God. Amen? It's not just something that's like, oh, you know, it's just crazy and we just give all the, all the credit to God. And God's like, hey, man, I had nothing to do with that. John chapter 20 and verse 31 says, these miracles, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the son of God, Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The things that have been written about that, that testify to the power of God that operated in the life of Jesus, they testify that he is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. And by believing only in him, you will have life in his name. Amen. But anything that the enemy does, it supports the lie and the lies from hell. And anything that Jesus does is in line with the truth of the word of God. Amen. And it's always in line with the Father's will. And so the second part of that verse, it explains the reason why unbelievers will perish. It's because they refuse to love the truth. How many of you love the word of God? Amen. 
And when I say this, we, we, we have to really mean what we say. I know for a lot of people, they'll, they'll, they'll text me, oh, Pastor Duke, it's so hard to read the word. Oh, Pastor, it's so hard. Like, oh, man, like, you know, it's like a chore, you know, for them. And when you realize that this isn't uh, homework, you know, it's not, a, it's not just a, you know, a book that you read. It's not just, you know, the best-selling novel or something like that. When you realize that this is a person, amen? When you realize that this is the person of the living God, that when you open this, he's with you. He sits down in front of you. He begins to speak to you. Amen. He begins to comfort you. He begins to encourage you. He begins to, you know, help you, strengthen you, fortify you, whatever it is. He begins to speak. And it's not just a person, but, but, the, but the, the deal is this, is that for those of us that are believers that are Christians that have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, this is everything. Amen. This is everything. Our life comes from this. It sustains us. It, it encourages us. It fills our hearts with hope. And what we see that the word of God is teaching us is it says that those, they refuse, that is unbelievers, they refuse to love the truth. I told somebody this the other day. I said, listen, the truth is a person. Amen? Truth isn't just, you know, a fact or an absolute, you know, you know fact from from. From the Bible, no, it is, it is a person. The person of Jesus is truth. Amen? The person of Jesus is all truth. And this is what it's saying. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They're refusing to love Jesus. They're refusing to love his word. They're refusing to love his commandments. They're refusing to love the Father's will for their life. And think about it. What a warning to people. What a warning to men that the followers of the Antichrist will be those who are deceived about the gospel. The people who do not believe, you know, in what the word of God is teaching or they, they don't love the truth nor the gospel. These are the ones that will perish forever. And this is a very sad thing. It's a great tragedy, you know, because, you know, it, it's that a person cannot reject Jesus Christ and expect things to stay as they are. In other words, they say, oh, well, you know, they, that's your truth. You've heard that said, right? That's your truth. Well, that's just what you believe. That's your religion. No, 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 my friend. They don't get it. They don't see it. They're missing the picture. Some people just think, oh, because I don't believe in it, nothing will happen to me because I don't. No. We know what the scripture says. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And those that refused to choose Christ, they will be sent to an eternal punishment and damnation in hell. That's as plain as I could make it. Say, oh, but that's not my religion. I have another religion. I'll believe in anything else. No, 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 my friend. It still applies to you. Well, I have no belief in anything at all. I don't believe that there is an afterlife. It doesn't matter. It still applies to you. You're just deceived. You're just believing in what you want to believe. You think that you can just close your eyes and plug your ears and say, oh, nothing's going to happen to me if I just ignore it. No, my friend. The truth is the truth. And it's only through the truth that men are set free. Amen. God loves his son too much to overlook him being rejected. He loves his son so much that he's not going to take it easy on those who refused his love. He's not going to take it easy on those that, that chose not to surrender their lives to him. Jesus Christ has done too much for, for mankind, for the Lord to bypass a person's unbelief and rejection. And so when a person has a chance to see and hear the gospel and open their heart, but chooses not to look or closes their heart to reject the Lord, the, that person will suffer consequences. And when we see this happening, the Bible teaches us that it actually causes the person to fall into worse deception, to fall into worse deception and worse lies. You see people that reject the truth and, and they've had opportunity to receive the truth 
and maybe, you know, time and time again. And there's a point where there's like a cutoff point, if you will, where they have fully acknowledged what it is that they are doing and they are rejecting the truth. It's no longer like, well, I'm not ready. I minister to people all the time and I've heard that before. People say, oh, I'm, I'm not ready to give my life to God. You know, they're young and they think, oh, well, I got stuff that I want to do with my life. I'll, I'll turn to Jesus when I'm older or whatever. And they have an excuse or they have a reason or what have you. But the, but the deal is, is once they know the truth and they've been presented the gospel and yet they reject it, they push back and they say, no, 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 that I don't want. Jesus, I don't want. That is where the Lord will allow them to fall into deception. And so it's eminent that when Christ returns for those, he's returning for those that love him and that love the truth. That love the person of Jesus. His scripture tells us that he is the word. We read this verse a few weeks ago. But John chapter 1 and verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. In John chapter 14 verse 1 says this. So do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. And Jesus is speaking. He says trust also in me. He said, in my father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. He said, but I am going there to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is teaching us about heaven, and he's teaching us about eternity. He said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. He said, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, he said, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way. I am the way. You want to know how to get there? I'm the way. Follow me. That's what he's telling him. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus in, in John 10 also is, is described as the gate or the door to salvation. Amen? He is the only way that we will see the Father. It is only through the person of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It is by Jesus and through Jesus and for Jesus all things hold together. And so as believers in Christ, we must always embrace Jesus as the only way and the only truth and the only life. Amen. There's no neutral area. There's no middle ground. And neither can anyone get into heaven except through Christ. Amen. How many of you agree with that tonight? But many would argue that this seems biased, but it's not. People might think, oh, this is, this is biased because, you know, it, you, know, it, it's, you know, it's only through Jesus. I mean, can I just pick another path? No, you can't. And it's not biased because Christ died for the sins of every person, every man, every woman, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, every single one. I had this thought some years ago that was preaching a message on the cross, and it just reminded me that, did you know that church, in that moment when Jesus was on the cross, that he thought of you? He thought of you. He thought of every single one of us. He, he, I don't know how he does it because he's God. But in those moments where he's being beaten and he's being crucified and he's nailed to the cross and he's, he's, he's bleeding, he's thinking of every single one of us. He's thinking of all of his creation. And he's doing it for you. I think sometimes we, we, we miss out and we don't realize the person of Jesus and we miss out on the personal way that he died for us. I think when you think about that and, and you could picture yourself in a room, just you and Jesus, he would die for you. If it came down to just you and him every single time, you were Barabbas and he would willingly go. You were the criminal that deserved the punishment, and he would willingly go for you every time. 
I believe that we can picture ourselves like that, you know, with the Lord. And the Bible tells us, church, that it's very clearly that those who refuse to love the truth and fail to confess him as Lord during their lifetime, one day they will confess him as Lord. Amen. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord. So this teaches us that Christ is the pinnacle. He is at the utmost. He is at the highest on this earth and for eternity to come. Amen. He is, he is the pinnacle now and he will be the pinnacle then. For every religion, every prophet, every belief system, doctrine, occult, tribe, church, everything else will be second place to Christ. Everything. There's not one thing that will measure up to who Christ is and how Christ will reign for eternity. Amen? But eternal life doesn't have to have different options or choices. It's plain and it's very simple. You will either spend an eternity in heaven or you will spend a Christless hell should we refuse to love the truth. Tonight's message is really simple and I want us to understand something. Is that as believers, we still need to preach the gospel. Amen? When we hear messages like this, we're automatically inclined to just prepare our, our hearts to punch our ticket and go. Say, oh, well, Pastor Duke, I'm in, I'm in the boat. Like, I'm already on my way to heaven. You know, I got, I'm living for the king, and I'm living for his kingdom, and I'm ready to meet him one day. But the truth of the matter is this, is that there's many upon many church that still still need to know about Jesus. I want to tell you something, and I want to remind you and encourage your heart tonight. The gospel still works. Amen. The gospel still works. You want to know how I know that? It's because the most simple person in the world, the, the most, you don't have to be educated, you don't have to be liked, you don't have to be popular, you don't have to be anything. If they share the gospel, the gospel contains the power of God, the resurrection power of God within itself, that when it is shared with dead hearts, it has the ability to resurrect those people back to life. And what a privilege that we've been given this message. What a privilege that you and I actually carry the gospel, we carry the words of Jesus Christ, the words of life that has that one day resurrected us and that, you know, when the Lord found us and saved us. But we possess the very word of God. We possess the gospel. The, the gospel means that that word gospel means good news. Amen. And in the world that we are living in today, there's a lot of people that need good news. Amen. And a lot of people don't want to know about good news or they don't want to. Sometimes hear good news, especially when it comes to Jesus, but the truth of the matter is that they don't realize that it is him that they need. They've tried everything else. They've tried, you know, the you know, drugs and alcohol and addictions. They've tried all different kinds of things, and they don't realize that it's only Jesus that they need. They don't need, you know, another degree. They don't need another job. They don't need, you know, better relationships. They don't need any of those things. They need Jesus. Amen. And when we present the gospel to people that are sick and that are dying, that are hungry, that are in need, believe it or not, it still works. See, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. You've heard that saying, right? You know, sometimes we think, oh, man, I got to reinvent the wheel. No, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It still works. The gospel still saves. Why? Because it is the story of Jesus. And guess what? Jesus is still saving until the Father says it's time. Jesus will still save souls even on their deathbed because it is still time. It is still time. The Father hasn't said, no, 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 now you return to, to, to impart judgment upon the earth. It's not time for that yet. We're still living in the, in the part where, where, where the grace of God has is, is been extended to mankind that people may have the opportunity to repent from their sins. We are still living in that hour. Amen. We are still living in that hour today. And so every passing day, those that we know and love are being drawn from the truth of Christ. People that you know and love, people that you associate with on a daily basis, people that you rub shoulders with, your family members, they are being drawn away from the truth of Christ if they have not yet received the truth. 
What do I mean by that? It's like the, like the world right now, it's just this big old toilet bowl, it's just it's going down. And it's going to go down. It doesn't, you know, sorry for the illustration. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, couldn't have thought of anything better. Sorry, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Because all I could picture was just this big thing that was spinning and it was going down. Well, what's my point? <laughs> my point is this. My point is that people are caught in that. And they're going. And that place that it leads is to hell. Right? The Bible says broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life, and only a few find it. So if we are not preaching the gospel, then they are hell-bound. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I can't change the word. I can't change the truth. It's the facts. And because there's people that exist in our life that don't know the truth, that haven't received Jesus, that have not, you know, answered, you know, the, the call of God upon their life or received from the Lord, we have to have an urgency in our heart and our life knowing what their end will be. There was this illustration that I heard, you know, some time ago, and basically it was, it was a few famous preachers. They went up to, like, this, you know, high-rise hotel, and they're standing in this, you know, on the whatever floor, you know, they were up there a ways. And the one preacher, he asked the other preacher, he says, what do you see? He says, oh man, I see a huge city. Just tons of cars, you know, they were way up in this big city and in this skyscraper. He said, man, I just see a huge city. And he asked the other preacher, he said, what do you see? He said, oh, man, I just see all the roads and the lights and the cars. And, and he asked the third preacher, so what do you see? He says, oh, you know, I, I, I see the sunset. I see the horizon. I see the sky. And he just remained silent. And he began to weep. They said, what's wrong? So what do you see? He said, I see soul after soul after soul that's going to hell. And there was this holy fear of God in his life that he knew that just like a person, just like a fireman rescues somebody out of the flames, that he had this urgency in his heart that he said, I have to say something. I don't even see the world like, like people normally would see it. All I see are souls. And can I tell you something, church? When you get close to the heart of the Father, you'll pick up what the heart of the Father is about, and it's about souls. It's always been about our souls. Amen? His concern has never changed. Amen? And so quickly tonight, I want to give you a few things. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 says this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. This is Paul talking. He said, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. It says, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. He says, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses described it, describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? He said, The word is near you, and it is in your mouth, and it is in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. He said that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. And so the first thing that we need to 
understand that we need to put into practice is this, is that we need to pray and believe salvation for others. Amen? I said we need to pray and we need to believe salvation for others. Note what Paul said in the very first verse of Romans 10. He said, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is that the Israelites might be saved. This was a man that was burning for souls to be saved, for souls to know the Lord. And so he had this desire in his heart, in his life, for Israel's salvation. That was that he loved these people, and he loved the people of God just the way that God loved them. And that word desire, it was eudokia. It meant a willing, a yearning, and a craving. So Paul's saying, like, like this is the only thing that I am longing for. I crave and I yearn to see salvation of the people of God. And if he saw their salvation, then his desire would be fulfilled. Now I ask us this question tonight. How many of us really desire people to be saved? You see, we might say that, but the thing is, is if we walk past people every day, then your actions say otherwise. It's easy to say, oh man, Lord, I long for everybody to know you, but yet be silent day after day after day. It's easy to say, oh Lord, I want everybody to get into heaven. God, I want all my family and my friends. But yet when we have conversations with our family and our friends, we don't talk to them about Jesus. Paul's desire, the only thing that he was concerned with was that their soul may know and meet the one who died to save it. A few months ago in April was like this major highlight of my life. And some of you may remember this crazy service that we had, but it was on a Wednesday night. And the Lord just like showed up in just this wonderful wave of, of glory I don't even know how to explain it, but you can go back and watch it on YouTube. <laughs> but something happened that night, and one, th one of the things that happened was that my daughter Layla, my 11-year-old, my she gave her heart to the Lord. And as a father, I could tell you that, like, when that happened... I literally felt like the Lord could just take me. I was like, Lord, my work here is done. I have nothing left to do, you know, in my plans. <laughs> you know, I just want my children to know Jesus. It was like this prayer that I've had for since the day she was born came to be fulfilled. And I saw the Lord rescue her soul. It took me back to when me and a 15-year-old young man gave my heart to the Lord and I saw him rescue my soul. And it lit a fire inside of my heart because I was just, I was like, wow, Lord, like, you're still saving souls. You're still doing what you've always done. But if I say that I would really love for everybody to know Jesus, but I say nothing and do nothing, then it really reveals where my heart is. And for a person like myself and a person like yourself, we have to ask ourselves the honest question. Do we love what God loves? Or are we just here to get from God? You know, we call this gathering a church service because it actually means that we're supposed to come to serve God and to serve one another, not just to be served. Amen? The Bible says in the, in the Gospel of John that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. Amen? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom means that you will pay a price. Means that you will carry your cross every single day so that someone else could know him. So that someone else could see him. So that someone else could receive him. 
Paul prayed for the salvation of Israel that they could be saved. And their, and their rejection of Christ wasn't hopeless. And the door of salvation was open to all mankind, to the Jews as well as the Gentiles. And so the believer, we as believers, we have to be steadfast and we have to be passionate about those that we know and love and relate with and socialize with. We have to be passionate about them being saved and getting saved and receiving Christ. Amen. That is, we have to burn the way that Paul burned with an unquenchable passion to see those around us saved. Romans chapter 9 verse 1 says this. Paul is speaking. He said, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying, and my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. He said, I have great sorrow and an unceasing anguish in my heart. He said, for I, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as the sons, and theirs the divine glory, the covenants and the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. See, Paul understood that somebody had to believe for them. And he understood who he was called to be in Christ, and that was a light. Paul burned passionately for those that he longed to see embrace the Lord, much like Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. So Paul wept for the people of Israel. But I ask us the question tonight. Who are you weeping for? Who are we weeping for? Who is your heart torn for that you, that you could say like Paul, I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ. Paul is literally saying, take my spot. Take my place. Just that you might know him. Just that you might know him. Please take my place. He wanted the, the nation of Israel to be saved just like Jesus longed, longed to gather Jerusalem to him. But the question is this, is who do you yearn to see saved? Who are you yearning to see come to the Lord? What person, what people group? Who is it that you are desiring that they come to Jesus? It's important that we must pray and we must believe for the salvation of others. Amen. The second thing is this, is we need to pray for a true encounter with the Lord. Amen. In a, in a world of false things, we need to pray for a true encounter of the Lord. This is really important. Why is this important? Because a church roster does not save anybody. Amen. Attending a church service does not save anybody. Amen. Do I have any believers in the house tonight? Fulfilling a religious duty on the weekend does not save anybody. Serving in a ministry does not save anybody. Being called by the Lord does not save anybody. None of those things save any one of us. How do we know that we are saved? We know that we are saved because we've done exactly as Scripture says. We've confessed Him as our Lord and our Savior, and we believed in our hearts that Jesus Christ not only lived, and died, but was resurrected for our sins. This is how we know that we are saved. But Romans 10 is going to teach us something else. Verse 1, he said, My heart's desire and prayer to God is that the Israelites might be saved. He said, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. Listen to what he's saying. They are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and they sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is very true of today's standards of salvation. This is very true of, of, of what we see a lot of people uh, you know, going through nowadays. They think they're converted because they've, they, they do kind of have a zeal for God because they like to go to church and, and they get a kick out of rubbing shoulders with other believers. But the truth of the matter is that they actually don't really know who Jesus is. They go to the latest trendy church that, you know, pops up on the street corner because they're popping up like franchises now. And they'll show up to that trendy church and they'll just go and they'll just be a part of the people. But they'll leave bound and they'll leave, you know, as oppressed and they'll leave as unsaved as they were week in and week out. Because they've not yielded themselves to understand the truth. And so they have a zeal for God, like the scripture is saying, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. 
It's just based on the experience. Amen. It's just based on everything else. And so they are not acknowledging this, you know, that Jesus died for their sins. You know, they're just simply putting one foot in, but there's no true encounter or conversion. There's no salvation for their soul or forgiveness of sin. Because the confession and the belief only come by knowledge, knowing what the gospel presents to us. How many of you have re ever read Acts chapter 2? If, if you haven't, go read it tonight. Please. Read it tonight and listen to Peter's sermon. Amen? And listen to what Peter begins to tell the people. He tells them everything about the past and he tells them everything. He's giving them knowledge so that they can make an informed decision to repent of their sins and choose to follow Jesus. Yes? And so we see something, church. It's not just that we can say, oh, Jesus loves me and there I'm saved. And not just believe in our heart, but it's an understanding of the whole picture. What does that mean? That means that we understand that we live in a fallen world, that we understand that we were made for a relationship with God. Amen? It's not some perk that we're offering people. Jesus is not some additive or some perk. It's not like, oh, you know what? You know, hey, if you come to our church, you know, you'll get Jesus too. It's like, no. It has nothing to do with that. Jesus is not, you know, and then. Jesus is everything. Jesus is all of it. And so we have to present the gospel in the right way. Write these things down really quickly. When you present the gospel, you need to tell people to, to understand that they are made for a relationship with God. They are made for a relationship with God, and they have to turn to God for that relationship. The second thing is this, is they have to know that sin is what separates us from God. And a fallen man cannot know a holy God or fellowship in the presence of a holy God. Sin separates us from God, but repenting from that sin and that evil doing covers us in the blood of Jesus, which is what makes us right before God. Amen. This is important for people to know. The other thing that's important for them to know is knowing that God has showed us his love by sending us the rescuer. The Redeemer, His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Amen. See, when we tell people this, then all of a sudden they are able to see the resurrection power of the Son of God because they believe and they're able to place their faith in Him. But see, this happens because of a knowledge and an understanding. So those two who will receive Jesus, they'll be given the gift of eternal life in the presence of God. This happens, church, when we present the gospel in its fullness and in its wholeness. A lot of times, false conversion looks like, like I said, people just going to, you know, you know, the latest, you know, trendy church or whatever, and just becoming a part with people, and they just might have a zeal for God, but guess what? There is no fruit in keeping with repentance. Matthew 3.8. There is no fruit in keeping with repentance. False conversion does exist. And many, like the scripture says, will either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me. I never knew you. Why would an all-knowing God, why would an all-knowing God say that he never knew them? Because the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man. And his name is Jesus Christ. If you do not come to the mediator who is Jesus, who stands between us and a perfect and holy God, there is no way to stand in the presence of God. These people, these Jews, they had a knowledge of, of things about God. The Israelites had a knowledge of things about God, but they did not have the correct knowledge of who God was. This is what Paul was expressing. That word knowledge was epignosis. It meant a correct, right, full, and complete knowledge. It was an experiential knowledge of the truth. The point was, was that the Jews knew a lot about God, but their knowledge was only partial. See, a lot of people just think that, you know, you know God loves me and that's all I need. No, that's not all that you need. I'm sorry, but that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that we must repent of our sins. 
and so be saved. Amen? We can't just give people a piece of the pie and think that all of a sudden they're going to get everything, all the eternal inheritance and all the eternal blessings that the word of God promises. And so the point is this, is the Jews knew only a few things about God, but because they had an incorrect knowledge, they did not, it, it didn't result in them knowing God personally and God knowing them personally. They were going to miss out on who he was. The enemy is so crafty that he draws people away from conversion by this method all the time. To think that somehow that they saved themselves by their works. You see, that was the issue with the Israelites. It was by their works. It was by them earning their salvation, by them earning their righteousness, by them doing certain things. But man's true nature teaches us that no man can be made perfect or righteous and be acceptable to God because we are sinners. But it was only through the love of God in sending his son Christ to save man by, by providing a perfect righteousness for mankind. And so Israel wasn't, was ignorant of the method of God for justification. And they were ignorant as to how a man really becomes acceptable to God. Because they thought that their rituals, their ceremonies, their law, their works, all of these things would make them acceptable to the Lord. How many of you know that when we turn to the Lord, it's only through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus. He is the one that saves us. We can add nothing to this. Amen? He is the one that lifts off our sin. He is the one that clothes us with Christ. He is the one that pours out the blood of Jesus over us, that purifies us. And I say this, church, because it's important that in this time and in this season that we are living in, there's a scripture in 1 Timothy, and then I'm done. It says, I urge then, first of all, that requests and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone. It says for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. But he says, this is good and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. We have a story to tell, amen? I said, you have a story to tell. You have a testimony to share. You have a witness to tell somebody about. 